Good morning. Good to see everybody today. Welcome home. Those of you who are here with us, thank you. Those of us who are, who, those of you who are joining us online, it's good to see everybody today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Adam, and uh, I'm the associate pastor here. And uh, I just want to say it's good to have Pastor Garrett back on staff with us. It's really good. I just hope that in his time uh, off of staff for a while, he's, um, I hope he's broken himself of the habit of stealing things out of the fridge in my office. Um, I don't know if I'm confident about that. But uh, anyway, we, uh, I want to ask you this morning as we get started, um, who are some people in your mind that you would consider to be a hero of the faith? As you think back to your life, maybe currently or in the past, people that you just really look up to and admire for their faith in Christ and their walk with God. Uh, for me, as I've thought about that, I, I, th I thought first about my parents who have faithfully modeled uh, the, the Christian walk for me my whole life. And I think of my, of my grandma who was just this amazing uh, prayer warrior and just a, just a complete saint. Um, I think of a, a handful of people from a Nazarene church in Georgetown, Texas, like Rick Power and Rich Syverson and Tim Masters and Jim Finch and, and a Kathy Wheeler, all people who had a profound influence on me uh, when I was a teenager. Um, I think of some people that I've, I've uh, been able to pastor over the years, people like Lucille Archer, who she and her husband were pastors on this district for many, many, many years. Or Miss Thelma from the church in Columbia, where, Columbia, Missouri, where I started, uh, who was just this faithful, <laughs> I'm going to cry, I just, I just made eye contact with Sarah thinking about her, um, just this amazing woman of faith. And um, in fact, when she, when, when Miss Thelma, when she died, um, she'd been, in, she was in a hospital bed, she had been just completely comatose for days, hadn't opened her eyes hadn't responded to anything, hadn't said anything. I gotta stop, I gotta make sure not see, look at Sarah, or I'm gonna lose it. Um, and, and so she'd just been completely unresponsive for days, and all of a sudden, Miss Thelma sat up in the bed with her eyes still closed, and she stretched out her arms, and she said, Jesus, my Jesus. And she laid back down, and she died. An absolute saint of the faith. And, and I've had the privilege to, to just be influenced by so many people over the years. Who are some of the people that you think of when you think of a hero of the faith? Well, this morning we're starting a, a brand new series that's called Just That, Heroes of the Faith. And uh, we're focusing on Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to turn there in your Bible or your Bible app, uh, Hebrews 11 gives this list of, of Old Testament people, some well-known, some not well-known, who just faithfully served God and faithfully obeyed God. And so they, they trusted him, they obeyed him, each one in unique ways. And we're not going to talk about all of them in this series, but we've picked out, I don't remember, six or seven of them that we're going to focus on for the next few weeks. And, um, and we're going we're gonna to look at how, what did they do that was so special? How did they live their lives that was so special that they're listed in this, in this chapter, Hebrews 11, as these heroes of the faith? And so verse 1 of, of Hebrews, it kind of gives this, remember the thesis statement from maybe high school English or college English? It's like the main idea of the paper. Some of you have the shakes right now because I just took you back to high school English and I'm sorry about that. 
Um, but you know, the, you know, the thesis, it's like the main idea of the paper. Well, verse 1 of Hebrews 11, it gives us the main idea of the chapter. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. We've been singing about confidence today. And if you paid attention to those songs, um, what, what, what did it say our confidence, where did it say our confidence comes from? Not in ourselves, comes from the faithfulness of God, right? From the promises of God. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and we need to understand the word hope. Because the Greek word for hope that's translated hope here, they use that word a little differently than we use the word hope. When we use the word hope, we almost use it as a wish, right? I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope my lunch is good today. I, I hope Adam doesn't preach too long today. Amen. That's the first amen we've had yet this morning. <laughs> Let's hope that's not just a fanciful wish, like we sometimes use the word hope, right? In, in the Greek, hope was different. It, hope was, a, it's a stronger word. It's, it's more, it, it involves, more, it's not just like a, a wish, wishful thinking. It's the confidence that I know God is going to be faithful. God will keep his promises, and I'm going to act accordingly, all right? So instead of just saying, I hope it rains today because we need it. This kind of hope says, I believe it's going to rain today and I'm carrying my umbrella with me. Right? It's different. There's an added dimension to, to the word hope. It's, it, faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's assurance about what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. In other words, faith is walking in full confidence that God's promises will come true, whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not. It is walking in full confidence that God's promises are true. It's trusting in those promises and then acting accordingly. There's an action element of this. There's this relationship between faith and action that we see throughout this chapter. In fact, there's a, there's a pattern that we see. And by the way, I want to encourage everybody as we go through this series, each week, read Hebrews chapter 11. Every week, read Hebrews chapter 11. And then go back and read the full story of the person that we talk about. All right, can I just challenge you to do that as we go through this series? So as you go through and you read Hebrews chapter 11, there's this pattern we see over and over and over. It says, by faith, so-and-so did such-and-such, -such. right? That's a loose translation. But it says, by faith, blank did this. There's this relationship between faith and action that we see throughout. In fact, there's another writer in the New Testament named James. It's right after the book of Hebrews. And James talks a lot about this relationship between faith and our action. He has some pretty strong words to say about it. In fact, in chapter 2, he says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? A little further down, he says, You see... Faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. Read that with me. It is dead and useless. Ouch. He goes on. He says, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. 
can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And then finally, he, he sort of ends this section saying, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Those are some strong words, aren't they? Now, I want to clarify one thing, and I, I can't emphasize this enough. James is not saying, and the writer of Hebrews chapter 11 is not saying that we are saved by what we do. He is not saying we are saved by our actions. The foundation, not a, the foundation of our Christian faith is that we cannot save ourselves through our actions. It is only through what Jesus has done for us on the cross that we are saved, and we receive that through what? Faith. Paul Paul tells us over and over in the New Testament, it's by faith. We're saved by faith. We're saved by faith. We're not saved by good works. But then James comes along and he says, yeah, that's true. But if your faith isn't giving birth to action, then is it really genuine faith at all? That's what James is saying. If the faith that we say we have is genuine and authentic, it's going to work itself out in our actions, in our words, in how we live our lives. In fact, there's another verse in the Bible that says, uh, that says uh, work out your salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation, because remember, we can't do that. It says work out your salvation. That just means that if our faith is real, it's going to work itself out in how we live, what we do, what we say. So Paul says we're saved by faith. James and the writer of Hebrews 11 says, yeah, but that faith it's got to give rise to action if it's real. Several of us, uh, several months ago, went to the well in Springfield. We went to their recovery service. And, uh, and the preacher was talking about this very thing, this relationship between faith and action and what James has to say about it. And, and he, he, I, he said this quote that I love. I, I put it down on my phone, and I'll share it with you today. Paul says, if you ain't believing, you ain't doing it right. James says, if you ain't doing, you ain't believing right. That's a, pretty good, that's a pretty good way to balance what Paul and James are teaching us. We're saved through faith. But if that faith is real, it's going to work itself out in how we live our lives. And so the rest of Hebrews 11, it gives us example after example of this kind of faith that's more than just an intellectual agreement with a set of principles. It is a faith that works itself out in how we live our lives and how we walk with God in what we do, in the steps we're willing to take, and in how we treat people. And so this morning, we're beginning, beginning by talking about Noah. Noah is the, I didn't, I didn't realize this. Um, oh, by the way, Pastor Jeannie, she's preaching in Columbus today. She's preaching on the same, you know, preaching on Noah. And she sent me a pic earlier on her way to Columbus. There was a rainbow out in the sky. How cool is that? Um, but Noah, you know, I, I didn't realize this till I was getting ready for this message. I, I've never, I never realized this before. Did you know that Noah is the very first person in the Bible to be referred to as righteous? He's the first person in the Bible to be referred to as righteous. And he was called that because he believed and he trusted God and he acted accordingly. And so I, I know, I'm sure we all know the story. You know, God told him that he was going to bring judgment on the whole earth. And uh, at God's command, Noah built this giant boat. 
And at the appointed time, the rains came down. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and Noah and his family were saved, and finally the waters receded, and, and they began to settle and repopulate the earth. How many of you, raise your hand if you've ever been to the, the Ark Museum in Kentucky. Ever been there? Raise your hand. A few people. Man, if you haven't been, you need to go. It's, it's worth going. This is basically what they did. That's, that's a kind of a fuzzy picture. But basically what they did is they took the dimensions of the Ark that the Bible gives us. The Bible doesn't tell us what it looked like. It doesn't tell us anything about the inside of it, the shape, anything like that. But it gives us the length and the width and the height. So they took those dimensions and they applied like, you know, laws of, of, uh, of water dynamics and, and flotation dynamics and things like that. And they said, this, this is a, a representation of what it, what it very well could have looked like. And then you go inside and, and what they do, the, I, I came away from it thinking, you know, for the person who would say, that's totally unrealistic, there's no way that could have actually happened. They do a really good job of showing, no, this is exactly how it could have happened. We don't know, but they, they account for everything. This is how all these animals could have fed, and this is how they could have fed the animals. This is how they could have watered them, and let's be honest, if you're eating and drinking, that's going to come out eventually, so here's how they could have dealt with the waste issue. I mean, they tried to think of all of these things, and they, and they show you, no, this isn't as fanciful a story as some people want to believe. And so as we, as we go through this today, uh, as we talk about Noah, we're going to talk, talk about Noah's Ark and the flood as if it is an actual real historical event, not because of what they've done in, in Kentucky, but because God's word treats it as an actual real historical event. And so that's how we're approaching it today. And so here's, uh, here's the, the summary of Noah's life that we find in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. One verse to summarize his life. It was by faith that Noah built. See, there's our pattern that we talked about earlier. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, and he warned him about things that had never happened before. There had never been a flood before. Some scientists think it hadn't even rained before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. What that means, that, that's kind of an odd statement. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received righteousness that comes by faith. That just means that, that Noah's faith was vindicated, right? The flood did come. What God said was going to happen did happen. And so Noah's faith was vindicated, and, and the world's lack of faith condemned them. And so I want to just give you, I just have a couple of takeaways for us today. And the first takeaway that we have is that Noah's faith-filled obedience was complete. It was all the way. It was 100%. It was no, holding nothing back. I, I believe the young people today would say it was full send. Sometimes I like to use phrases like that. I see some teenagers shaking their heads. Sometimes I like to use phrases like that just to see my own teenagers shake their heads and roll their eyes. And sometimes I'll intentionally slightly misuse it because it drives them crazy. And sometimes I will unintentionally misuse it because I'm old. So if I misuse it, you don't know which one. 
But Noah's obedience, it was all the way. It was complete. Look, look at some of these verses from the story. In Genesis chapter 6, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. And then in, in chapter 7, so Noah did everything, read it with me, as the Lord commanded him. A little further down, they entered the boat in pairs, male and female. Read it with me. Just as God had commanded Noah. One more, a male and female of each kind entered. Read it with me. Just as God had commanded Noah. Over and over, it says, just as God commanded him. Just as God commanded him. Exactly as God commanded him. Noah's obedience was complete and full. None of this partial stuff. None of this, I'm going to obey what I want to obey. I'm going to obey what makes sense to me. No, it was full and it was complete. Now, that's important because when you think about it, partial obedience isn't really obedience, is it? I know we've got kid, the kids in with us today. I think we're doing that for a couple more Sundays. Um, but kids, if your mom or your dad tell you to go clean your room and you just clean part of your room or half your room or just a little corner of your room and you don't touch anything else, uh, have you really obeyed? Not really, because they told you to clean the whole room. And so partial obedience isn't, isn't really obedience at all. Noah obeys God completely. Jesus, Jesus says this, says this a bunch of times actually, but in John 14, 5, he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. The problem is we like to add little addendums to this sometimes, don't we? Let's just be honest. Let's be honest. Sometimes we want to add a little bit to this sentence. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. If you love me, obey my commandments when it's convenient. Come on, be honest. You ever wrestle with that? Jesus didn't say when it's convenient. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments when it's easy. If you love me, obey my commandments when you agree with them. Come on. I, I, I've told my kids before, uh, I, don't expect you, I, I, you know, I, I don't expect you to agree with me. I don't expect you to understand why I've told you what I've told you, but I expect you to respect it. You may not always agree in your humanness with what God has told us, but do you trust him enough to obey anyway? Do you love him enough to obey him anyway, even if you don't agree or understand? Or how about one more? Uh, if you love me, obey my commandments unless your friends don't live that way. You know, man, you know how many times I've heard someone say, I just, I just don't believe this is wrong because my friends, they do this over here. Really? You're going to determine your sense of morality based on what your friends choose and how they choose to live? There's got to be something stronger than that to base our morality on, right? There is. It's God's word. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me, period, period. There's nothing else that follows it. If you love me, obey my commandments. Noah did exactly as the Lord commanded him. He did just as the Lord commanded him. It tells us over and over. And that complete, total obedience 
arose out of his faith that God would keep his word. His faith that God would keep his word. And he was commended, he was blessed, and he was saved because of it. So let me ask you this morning, is there an area of your life where maybe you've just been kind of obeying? Is there an area of your life where you've just been obeying when it's convenient or when it's easy? What if today you just surrendered that to Jesus and said, Jesus, no more of this partial stuff. I'm all in. And I'm going to do just what you've told me to do in your word. What if you made that decision today? Noah's faith-filled obedience was complete. It was also for the long haul. This wasn't short-lived. This wasn't some, you know, fly-by-night, flighty kind of obedience. It was for the long haul. Think about it. Noah did not spend $30,000 on a big boat with a 375 Mercruiser engine. He didn't go buy a boat. He built it. Board by board, nail by nail, for decades. It took him decades to do this. Probably in the face of a lot of ridicule and persecution. He was building a boat in the middle of the desert. Oh, and by the way, there was no Home Depot where he could go down and spend $86 per two-by-four. <laughs> he had to cut down the trees and make the boards to build the ark with. He did this board by board for decades. And you cannot convince me that there weren't moments of doubt. I mean, we're calling, this, we're calling these people heroes of the faith, but let, let's not put them up on a pedestal, okay? That's not why I have this, but it works. Let's not put them up on a pedestal. The computer agrees, apparently. Let's keep them on the same ground that we walk on, because these were ordinary people just like us. You can't convince me that there weren't moments of doubt as he labored Day after day, year after year, decade after decade, board by board, you can't convince me there was never a moment where Noah was laying in bed uh, awake late at night thinking, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Did, did I really hear God correctly? I, I'm paying a price for this. My family's paying a price for this. It, You can't convince me he didn't have moments like that. What kept him going? What kept going? What kept Noah going, board by board, decade after decade? It was his unwavering faith in the promises of God. His unwavering faith in the word of God. God said, this is going to happen. Here's what I'm going to do. And Noah believed him. That's what kept him going. His action, which was building the boat, his action arose out of his unwavering faith in the promises of God. Probably should have made a slide for that. 
His action arose out of his unwavering faith in the promises of God. Let me say it one more time. His action arose out of his unwavering faith in the promises of God. There's a quote that I came across. This is is my own paraphrase of this quote that I came across this week. When God announced he would do something unprecedented, Noah took him at his word. He spent decades making the practical preparations to have his family ready. Let me ask you this morning, what are you doing to have your family ready? You know, that's our number one priority as parents and grandparents. More than, more than making sure they're good athletes, even more than making sure they're good citizens. It's making sure they're ready to stand before God someday. He spent decades making the practical preparations to have his family ready, most likely in spite of great ridicule and persecution by others. That's what Noah did, and that's what he's commended for in Hebrews 11. And so let me ask you this morning, are are you weary today? I don't mean from a lack of sleep. I mean, are you weary from whatever God is, is calling you to do right now? Are you weary just from following Jesus? in a culture that increasingly frowns on that and ridicules it? Are you tempted to stop praying for that person you've been praying for maybe for years? Let me tell you this morning, don't give up. Don't give up. The Bible tells us over and over and over there is a reward for persevering. And sometimes we can't see that reward today, but that's where that hope comes in, that confidence in God's promises comes in. I'm going to persevere, even in the face of ridicule, even when I'm weary, even when I want to give up, even when I'm questioning, did God really tell me this? I'm going to keep going because I know God is faithful. Don't give up this morning. Don't give up. What if you prayed today, God, I'm not going to give up. I'm following you all the way. 100% sold out, holding nothing back. In fact, as, as, we, uh, as we start to wrap this up, um, God called Noah to do something pretty wild and crazy, didn't he? I mean, this was a wild, building a boat in the middle of a desert. That's a pretty, pretty wild and crazy thing. That's a big thing that God asked him to do. And it would be, be kind of tempting for me to end this message by challenging you and saying, well, if God asks you to do something big and wild and crazy, will you do it? Yeah. Awesome. We have, one, we have a little one here that says, yes. Let's call this big bill obedience. All right, this is, I've got a, I have a million dollar bill in my hand right here. I went up to Kyle before church. I said, Kyle, do you have a million dollar bill that I could use for an illustration? He said, yeah, he pulled out his wallet and he gave it to me. Um, okay, it's fake, just to clarify. In fact, it even has Noah's Ark on it because my youngest son got it from the Noah's Ark Museum. But this is a, this is a, a fake million dollar bill, okay? But we're going to use this this morning to represent those big, wild, crazy things that God might ask us to do, like build a boat in the middle of a desert, or sell everything you have and move to Africa to be a missionary, or 
get on your motorcycle and drive across country and tell everybody about Jesus. I don't know. Big, wild, crazy. I'm talking about an old Mountain Dew commercial that got saved. Remember the old Mountain Dew commercials? That's what this represents. And it would be easy for me to say, you know what? If God asks you to do some big, wild, and crazy thing like build a boat in the middle of the desert, do you trust him enough to do it? I hope you do. I hope I do. But here's the thing. God doesn't call everybody to do some big, wild, crazy, big bill obedience thing. He doesn't call everybody. He's only one time in history has he called a man to build a boat in the middle of a desert because he was going to flood the earth. He doesn't call everybody to sell everything and go to Africa and be missionaries. He may call you to do that. We have two people sitting right over there who grew up in missionary homes in Africa because their parents, God called their parents to do something wild and crazy, go to Africa and be a missionary. That call, that call could come to you. It could come to me. And I hope that you and I have the faith to obey. But the truth is, God doesn't call everybody to that kind of big bill obedience. You know what he does call us to, all of us? He calls all of us to obey a penny at a time. A dime at a time. Sometimes a, a quarter at a time. You trust God enough to give him those little, everyday, ordinary moments where you know he wants you to do something small. Do, do you trust God enough to maybe have a conversation with that tired, cranky cashier at the grocery store who's obviously had a good day? Do you, do you trust him enough to just engage that person in an encouraging conversation? Do you, do you trust God enough? Better use a quarter for this one. Do you trust God enough to forgive that person who has hurt you? Do you trust God enough? Maybe this one needs a quarter too. Um, do you trust God enough to hold your tongue when you really, you really want to rip that person up one side and down the other? Do you trust God enough to walk away from that conversation that's turned into gossip? God may or may not call you to some kind of big bill, crazy, wild act of obedience, but he calls all of us to just obey him in those ordinary, everyday moments of life. Will you give him those? Will you trust him with those things? Because, by the way, remember I said Noah was the first man in the, in the Bible to be called righteous? If you read Genesis 6, he was called righteous before he ever built the boat. Noah's story isn't, isn't building a boat. He walked in daily faithful obedience to God before the call, before the big, wild, crazy call ever came. And that's what he calls all of us to. That's the kind of faith that I aspire to. And I trust that's the kind of faith that you aspire to also.
So let me ask you one last question as the band comes. What's one small act of obedience? What's one small act of obedience that you can give God today? What's one small act of obedience that you can give God tomorrow? If this comes, I hope you'll say yes. I hope I'll say yes. Until then, keep giving him your change. Day by day. Board by board. Conversation by conversation. Decision by decision. What's one small act of obedience that you can give God today? Would you stand as we sing?